0: With unemployment back at pre pandemic levels, the talent crunch is being felt acutely throughout the state. Today, we speak with the president and CEO of the best company to work for in New Hampshire about being a talent magnet, the importance of company culture, and what it takes to succeed in manufacturing. Hello, I'm Matt Mowry, editor of Business New Hampshire Magazine.
1: And I'm Nathan Carroll, founder and president of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. Do you remember your first job as a kid? Oh, yes. Yeah. was
0: I was was a bagger at a supermarket. Oh, yeah. I worked my way up to cashier.
1: Yes, you did. Yes, (laughs) you did.
0: Nice, nice. Oh, yeah. My dad, as soon as I was old enough, he's like, you're getting a job. And I'm glad he did. I Mm -hmm. learned a lot from it. Mm
1: -hmm. Instills a lot in you, maybe. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I was, let's see, it was like a two-parter. I was like 12 years old, and my dad got me a gig watering plants at a garden center that he did business with. And then I like to say I worked my way up to the fertilizer room, (laughs) (laughs) and I- uh, Uh, And I, you know, made something of it. And then because I was a cocky 17 year old, they canned me like rightfully so though. (laughs) Right. Because I was a cocky 17 year old and they were like, no, not, not happening. So then I went and sold suits for six months. And you learned your lesson. And I learned my lesson (laughs) that I will never sell suits again. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, oh man. Um, yeah, so I think it's there's there's a lot to be uh, a lot to be said for you know the first jobs and those experiences and working with those bosses that that
0: uh, it's the training ground to get ready for the big show. You know, I I'm is. always surprised when you know occasionally I'll go in and be asked to help seniors in college you know with resume prep or what have you, and uh, I'm always surprised when the resume hasn't even started. You know, like the, it's all about what they've done in college, but there's no even part-time jobs on it. And I'm thinking, how are you ready to go into the workforce right now? I mean... I mean, even to just learn the basics of showing up on time Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, how do you behave and talk to your boss? How do you get along with coworkers that you may not like? Right. All those things that you can learn in the part-time job before you get to the actual one that counts. Exactly,
1: And you don't, you know, you don't have to be 18 to learn that stuff.
0: You can be 12 (laughs) or 15 or whatever. Right. Um, Cool. So so what's the worst job you've had or the worst thing that's happened to you on the job?
1: Uh, geez. No, I think just showing up every day for six months to try to sell suits at a place that I was just totally not Mm. enthused about. So I quit with like three days notice and then went and worked at another garden center. (laughs) <laughs> back to your roots as it yeah were. back to my roots back to my roots um so you heard uh our listeners have heard a couple of chuckles so far and i think he gets a kick out of our stories um our guest this week has a career in product development leadership spanning over 25 years since 2012 he's been at the helm of bedford-based sunrise labs as its president and ceo eric soderberg Welcome to BizCast. Oh, thank you. so. Thanks great. for chuckling at our stories of <laughs> youth employment.
2: <laughs> what was your first job? I have job? plenty of those stories myself oh, here. Oh, right, We might have start to pry there? one out yeah. of oh, I had no idea we go back that far. But, uh, my first job was laying wall-to-wall carpeting. Uh, it was a summer job. Yeah, it was actually way, way back then. What was that? In the... Uh, you know, 70s, late, 80s, early 80s. Um, yeah, it was hard to find a summer job back then. Mm-hmm. I was getting turned down for dishwashing jobs. Whoa, you know? so, oh, wow. <laughs> so, so I got to travel. And and so I learned a lot of things uh, playing multiple carpet. It's still a skill I love. It was a skill with your hands. You know, It was a trade. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, engineering is a trade, too. Uh, and, and I think it's so important to have a trade of some sort that, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to go off and do business later, to have something, um, that you, uh, it can, can provide the basis for your leadership and, and things. And, uh, I, I just, uh, I, I, strongly recommended that for my kids as they came through school was, 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 uh, learn something that, that, that you can go do and go sell, go hang up a shingle and go do. Nice. Nice. Get yeah. a job kid. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a great yeah. place
0: for a start. I mean, you is. know, uh, talking about the, the, career, an incredible career journey that you've been on. So what, first of all, what prompted you to want to become an engineer? Why did that end up being a passion for you and where did it lead you?
2: No prompting involved there. And first, I'm so glad you're calling it a journey and and, and it's a never ending journey and I'm never happy with where it is. It's always a journey, right? <laughs> right. I yep. think, you know, forever. And, uh, oh, I was just an engineer from birth. I was one of those kids that was fixing the vacuum cleaner at three years old and, you know, and I don't know, sticking my fingers in the sockets and stuff. So I was an electrical engineer um, (laughs) real early. And, uh, <laughs> you didn't do that? <laughs> no, I just took just, stuff just, apart and couldn't put it back see together. see what it again. was like? Come on. <laughs> oh, my. So, you know, for me, you know, going up through... You know, I'll, I'll jump through undergrad and, uh, you know, it was just suck up everything I possibly could. I, I understood the mo- I was a ham radio operator at 14, you know, and I was a real, real, real... I was a geek and a nerd before that was cool. Way before it was cool. <laughs> anyway, I love it. I um, love it. And, and so it, that was... Um, where I was going, what I was doing, and and how I chose the school to go to, went to WPI an engineering school, and uh, just just ate it up, loved it, and and got out into the field and uh, went to work at Draper Labs, and um, it was just I couldn't believe they're paying me for this. It was yep. just just I got to learn, 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 and and um, loved it, loved it, loved it un- until a certain point where it's like okay, I've been here seven years, what's next? And, and they kept giving me raises and raises. I, I couldn't go anywhere else and make close to what I was making there, so I felt kind of trapped. I went to grad school. <laughs> 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 I had a fellowship. The other end. Yeah, I got a fellowship at MIT to do both a business degree and, and, a, um, and an engineering degree, master's degrees. And, you know, it completely changed my life. I went from being an arrogant engineer to a humble business person and... Um, Almost overnight, you know, it was a two-year program, but it was it was pretty much overnight when, when I started that program. I was it was focused on operations. It was this leaders for manufacturing program we were in with, with just so many smart people around me that I was just like, holy smokes! Oh, you know what? Those salespeople do have a use in the world. Uh, <laughs> those finance people, you oh, you need those people and those accounts, you need those. And uh, I had you know before that, no no real. Respect for those other things. Everything was just centered around my little world of engineering. Um, and so that really uh, is what sort of launched me into business. So if you talk about the business journey, that's where it started for me.
0: And, you know, there's a lot of great engineers out there with great ideas. Um, and they've got that, you know, that, that innovative side down. You know, they they innovate. They, they know how to do that. But it's taking that next leap and going to market and starting a business where some can really stumble. What were some of the the biggest lessons you learned on what it took to go from being an engineer to an
2: engineer that's leading a business? Well, first and foremost is is if you know you can innovate all day long, but if it's it's on something that nobody will pay for, uh, it, it it's not going to turn into a business. It may be fun, uh, and and. Uh, You know, maybe it's philanthropic in some way or something, but it's not a business. And so really, um, and I learned this, you know, I went to work. So I went to work for Motorola when I came out of grad school. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll segue back to that. We talk about leadership. but uh, And and, um, sort of seven years later, I I have this seven-year thing. I went on to... um, The itch. (laughs) That was it for me. And I went on to come back. That's what brought me back to New Hampshire was I came to Decca to um, lead the world's first iBot. And that was my first medical device. And that's uh, Dean Kamen Story and Company. Yeah, yeah he, he brought me here. I got it. So that's, so I, I went to DECA and, and I started work on this iBot and... Um, And and, uh, I worked on it for several years. And and, um, it was this great technology, balancing technology. A Segway, remember, was a part of the same thing, Fred and Ginger? Yeah. uh, These dynamic, these stabilized things, so cool. But who was the customer for it? And so that's still a question. And so um, actually selling those uh, turned out to be not – it turns out to be sort of a a wheelchair. Uh, It was an electric wheelchair for people that had upper – uh, some upper body controls, and none of those people want an electric wheelchair. So it's more like a test pilot, person with disabilities that would really want to drive an iBOT around, and that, there aren't that many of those people. And it could be kind of wealthy too, because it's expensive. So that's an example of of you know wonderful technology um, that didn't go very far. Same with Segway, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry to be so honest to the New Hampshire crowd here.
0: It's all right. No, I appreciate it. It's, <laughs> hey, it's a you know, great failure insane. is an option I, I mean, sometime it, it, you know, or, Yeah, you yeah.
2: know, Segway's gone places, but nowhere near what, what we hoped. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. Interesting. So, um, to that end though, uh, Sunrise Labs
2: is your gig now, as it were, tell us a little bit about what they do and and what your focus is. So we're an engineering services company. We take other people's ideas and turn them into commercial products. Okay. So, we now start with user-centered design and looking at sort of what the real user needs are. But uh, for the longest time, we would start with somebody else's thing. They've got a prototype of it. And we would engineer um, to the FDA sort of standards um, and, and, and give them the package they need, sort of called a design history file that they need to go apply for clearance for that device to be sold in the U.S. in the case of the FDA. And there's um, similar things overseas. And so that's what we did. So so when I came into Sunrise, uh, it was like 12 years ago, uh, it was about 20, 23 people, something like that. And um, it wasn't focused in medical. So I, I, that's that, that's the first thing I did is start investing. The company hadn't been invested in much. It was sort of a, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's lifestyle, but it was all the profits were sort of taken out each year. And <clears throat> so I turned it all around into, uh, I started investing. We, we, we First, we put a quality management system in certified for medical, focused on those clients, and at the same time sort of made sure that we were concentrating on, on engineering excellence and, and, and hiring really wonderful people. And it, it grew and it grew, and, and, and nobody had heard of Sunrise at the time, so it's an investing in the marketing pieces, and um, that has just brought back enormous you know rewards for us. I, I, I think that's, that's the biggest message I have, really, is, is, is you've got to invest. It's, um, yeah, yeah, it, it, That that's how we uh, get returns. You know, same thing goes for government and stuff. You know, it, it's like you invest in the infrastructure, and you know right. what? It comes back. Right. So
0: what did that investment yield? Where's Sunrise at today? You say you, when yeah. you came up board, it was 22 employees. Yeah, so we're about 100 niche. people now. Oh, wow. Yeah.
2: And um, we're, we have um, more work coming in than we possibly know what to do with. <laughs> um, so we're at a stage now where we're trying to figure out, well, which is the best work to direct us in the direction we want to go? Because you sort of are what you eat in this business. You know, you get the experience of working on those projects that have that technology moving in that direction. So, you know, there's a lot of um, scratching our heads and saying, okay, where where are we going to take it from here?
0: And And what type of customers are you attracting? Who's coming to you?
2: We do the full uh, gambit from startups to the the large, the very largest medical device companies and um, everything in between, really. The, the startups come to us because we have that process to um, get their devices cleared by the FDA. The big guys come to us uh, because we're more nimble and, and can do things faster than they can because they, as they grow, they, they add layers of Sort of uh, process that slow things down, and and, and and they can come to us and get things done a lot faster than if they do in-house. But also, you know, the big guys tend to measure themselves on revenue per headcount, so they try to keep the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the the workforce sort of down number down to a minimum. Our revenue per headcount's is not nearly as good as theirs, but um, you know, <laughs> we're, uh, we're 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 uh, we're having fun.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So um, with that focus, uh, you know, on investment, obviously, an investment that you've made is in your employees, you are the best company to work for in New Hampshire. So um, tell us a little bit about the culture, the benefits, the programs, uh, things that make Sunrise
2: really the best place to work. Yeah, and I want to say, you know, investing isn't about dollars really here. And in in our case, certainly, Um, it's, it's we do have competitive benefits everywhere, but we don't like um, you know, have have gold-plated um, sort of um, you know uh, benefits. We, we you know, and 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 months of vacation and things. We we um, we have a culture that that I think is, is been our I know has been our competitive advantage. And so it's it, it I'll, I stole the uh, <laughs> this from Motorola. The 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 basis for it. At Motorola, there were. Uh, there were key principles that never changed, and then there were sort of some other bigger goals that changed sometimes, and then there were the annual things that changed all the time. But the two key principles uh, and, and that we use and I've used in every job since is uh, constant respect for people and uncompromising integrity. And that's where it all starts. That's that's while I was at Motorola. I preached that to all my teams and every team since that I've managed. It, it really, really has to start there. It, it, it um, you know, I tell when people, look, constant respect for people we have a special tactic for, which is uh, we call assumption of positive intent. I've spoken about that um, before at, 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 at other events, so I don't know if I want to repeat it here at all, but it, it's basically, um, I know that everyone at Sunrise is out for the best interest of Sunrise and our clients, and each one of you at Sunrise can understand that that's true about each other. And so when Matt does something and you go, what the heck was Matt thinking? I, I don't go. Which and is talk- often a question. <laughs> <laughs> I just said that like three times earlier today. I don't know. I don't no, go talk to Susie and say, how about that guy, Matt? <clears throat> I don't do that. And I also don't say, oh, but he meant well. I assume positive. Yeah, I know he meant well. No, I go talk to Matt and and, and find out. And, and and that leads to learning uh, and and. I'd say eighty percent of the time, maybe ninety percent of the time, I was wrong. I, you know, my reaction was was you know, and Matt says, Eric, you told me that you wanted. To... Oh yeah, I forgot about that. You know, and so that's another important piece of leadership, right? Um, I try to demonstrate uh, the human side of of, of, of Eric every day, you know, and say, you know, and and point out when I um, make mistakes. uh, So it's okay for everyone else to make mistakes, you know, so that's, that's part of the learning culture too, is you have to be okay with mistakes. I mean, you're not going (laughs) to, you know, future favors the bold, you got to take some chances and some risks, and they're not all going to make it.
0: Right. Well, I I wanted to say, you know, first of all, I'll take a moment to say, I think this is the first time in person I've been able to say it to you. Congratulations on being named the best company to work for at Business New Hampshire Magazine's best companies to work for competition. It's quite a feat. Uh, it's, a, you know, a very... Um, highly competitive field. Uh, so it speaks highly of, of, of what you do at Sunrise. Uh, and, and and you're absolutely correct. You know, Over the years we've seen, you can offer the best benefits package you can, but if you're an awful place to work in a place that doesn't respect its employees, they're going to flee. They're not going to stay for a benefits package. Um, and so I, I, to your point about culture, um, you know, a lot of companies have these great mission and vision statements as to sunrise. Um, but I think what differentiates a good company from a great company is that those good companies have the, those statements, but unfortunately they tend to stay in the book or hanging on the wall. How do you make sure that what your mission and vision is lived, that is an active thing within your uh,
2: culture? You know, I think it starts with listening. Uh, you know, the, it, it it it's listening carefully. So I do one on ones with every every person at Sunrise Labs uh, at least once a year, and all my managers do one on ones every quarter with their direct reports. So hearing from the people directly what you know what's going on in their minds, that, that's number one, and also keeping people up to speed with what's going on with the company. This is something we learned with COVID, um, where you know we'd have monthly company meetings, and, and these were these are meetings where we go through the financial. Uh, success of the company or status of the company and, you know, good news and bad. Um, and uh, it really builds trust to, to, to put it right out there how we're doing. Um, and then with COVID, where we weren't seeing each other day to day, it was, uh, we turned this into we're still doing monthly meetings, you know, virtually now, but I send out a sunrise update twice a week. Uh, now, which, which uh, keeps people up to speed with you know, the latest uh, projects we've won, or you know how we're doing, and or, or great accomplishments of, of, of our people, because um, there's a lot of that going on. And, and so, it's a, it's, a, it's a paragraph every twice every week. I do Tuesdays and Fridays, uh, religiously now. So, really, and from there, um, I don't know. There's any hard rules or facts. You really have to care. You got to care about your people, and it shows when you do you know, so um, people also want purpose, you know, and so what we work on are medical devices that go save lives and make lives better. I mean, we're drying blood plasma so that it can be stored in, you know, in in an army uh, tent, you know, and just just add water, and now you've got plasma to inject to a a patient that's losing blood, and it's going to save his life, and and it's going to save hundreds and thousands of lives. So not hundreds of thousands, but at least thousands. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, you know, having that purpose is, is, is um, critical as well. It's, but, but everyone, um, I, I think, you know, on Maslow's hierarchy, it's, it's, it's pretty mm-hmm. near the top and it's real important. That's awesome.
1: That's awesome. Um, I saw a statistic maybe from some information that Matt had, uh, had given me at some point that 98% of your employees agree that their manager respects their work life balance. That's Awesome. That's embedded culture is what that is. Um, what is, how do you define work-life balance? And and what does that look like at Sunrise uh, for employees?
2: That's so funny you ask me that question. <laughs> you know, I've been back to MIT preaching on this. I used to say preaching, uh, going, going back to... Um, <clears throat> classes uh, there to speak on leadership particularly on work-life balance and I was always brought back for that particular question for way too many years after and I'm, I'm an old guy now and it's like why do they want to hear from me um, and one of the guy one of the leaders of, of one of the leadership classes explained to me uh, that, that that Eric you, you just feel comfortable in your own skin and and we, we want to see that sort of um, we want to see that sort of transferred to, to others, you know, and, and so, oh, a lot of things I can say here, but, you know, I, I said I started off a total geek. So so this can be learned, folks. This is leadership <laughs> is not a, uh, there, there's, there are, there's a different style of leadership that's effective for everyone. You don't have to follow a cookbook. It's, um, you know, but you do have to care about people uh, and show it. And be comfortable speaking about the soft side of things, not just the, um, you know, the technical details and things. You got to talk about feelings, you know. Right. <laughs> and yeah, and it's that's true. It's engineers, true. you know, it's not a normal thing you're taught, you know. So, so it's uh, there's there's a lot of pieces there. But work-life balance, I I, I don't even like the term because it, it, <laughs> it, it implies that somehow life is separate from work, and you have to balance the two. Um, but, but it, I know what it means, you know, but, but. To that end, I, I would say that life, work is a huge part of your life. When you have a good day of work, you go home and your kids are happy to see, you know, you're happy right, to see your kids, right. everyone's happier. I feel like we should call and it same
1: work-life goes, integration. Yeah. You know, because In, it, it is, you, we, yeah. of course, our viewers can't see this, but you just did this sort of thing with your hands where your fingers yeah. interlocked to say that this is an
2: integration, this isn't a separation. It is. And you need to understand the constraints that your employees have. They know, especially during COVID, right? We have... You know, uh, a woman who's who's got three girls at home at young ages coming up through this, who's also got parents that are sick and this, that, you know, you got to be flexible, right? It, and, and let them um, fulfill all their life's dreams, you know, it, not just at work. And so it's about understanding and, and integrating. Yeah, I totally agree with that.
1: Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. I know in, in my experience, it's been where if someone says, like, I have a personal thing or my mother needs or my child needs the conversation ends there. And I, I tell them, you know, get your jacket on, go take care of your family absolutely, because that's what matters. And to your point, that integration, they go home and they're fulfilled and they say, you know what, I did what I needed to do today versus now hating your boss because they told you to stick around till five o'clock when you're supposed to leave.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of another thing sort of in leadership is this short term versus long-term thinking, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, do you want to build someone to be with your company for a long time or do you want high turnover, you know, or, you know, and, and, and it takes, um, it takes that kind of mindset to say, you know, I, I got to take care of this person or they're not going to take care of me. You know, they're not going to be around very long because somebody else will.
0: Right. And, you know, and, and we, you have been talking about COVID. And I, and I do want to talk about the tests that cultures, company cultures have gone through during this time um, company, you know, having a great company culture is easier when things are good and you're able to invest in things and people are happy, you know, where you really know if culture is, is real is when things get tough and culture is one of those things that if it's, if it's been well built is going to carry you through. So, you know, I want to ask a couple things. One, this was a really scary time for people. And it was a real test of leadership. So when you have this hit and people are uncertain about their health, about their job stability, about where the economy's going, what was the messaging you – what did you tell your folks when this hit? How did you reassure them? How did you guide them through this?
2: Yeah, and keep in mind that I was going through the same thing. I'm feeling this. It was difficult. It was depressing. And so that was the first thing I told people was, look, you feel depressed? Boy, if this doesn't depress you, I don't know what will. Yeah. It's okay. That's human. That's normal. I feel it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was sort of number one. And, and, and then it's just like, so how are we going to get through this together? And so here we're going to take it day by day, step by step. First thing we're going to do is say, anybody who doesn't have to be in the office to do their job, don't come in. Um, work from home, anything you need, do you need a, an adjustable desk? Do you need, you know, you got to get a second monitor, um, to get set up at home and be comfortable. Um, you know, is your Wi-Fi modem good enough? You know, let's get you set up to be productive at home. So, so that that was just an example. I, so this, I I know you want this more generalized when times get tough, but it's really, I, I just find I'm not smart enough to do anything else other than to be honest with, with, with people, you know, um, you don't try to spin a, a special story or, or, or soften it um, to say, yeah, this sucks.
0: <laughs> well, and I think that's a trend we saw among this year's best companies is that that transparency, the realization that if we're going to get through this, we've got to be honest with one another. And I think what was also impressive about what came out about your response to In Sunrise is that um, you were very honest with fo- your folks about that this was tough for you, that you You know, I think some leaders feel like I have to be the strong one with all the answers. And I think, you know, that sometimes doesn't work. You know, I, I, uh, you know, yes, I want the person in charge to, to be able to lead, but it's also nice to know that they understand what I'm going through. And I think that was something that you did very clearly with your folks. No, thank you. Being able to empathize with them.
2: That's the word empathy. Yep. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. We did that with our clients too, not just our people. Yeah.
0: And what do you think it was about the culture you had in place that has allowed Sunrise to weather this challenge? Um, You know, what are the aspects that were baked into your culture that has allowed you to still succeed despite, you know, the challenging environment we find ourselves in?
2: You know, we talked about you have to really care about your people. When your people, you also have to have your people care about each other. And, And I think that just does, does amazing things. And, you know, and set the standard, you know, when I say, um, you know, I define integrity a little bit, it's it's, it's about doing what you say you're going to do and not doing what you say you're not going to do. But also if you see something that looks funny, um, that looks like it's not, we're not doing the high integrity thing, then speak up about it because that's a mistake. We don't want to be doing that. We're always, you know, do the right thing is the rule of the land. And, if you see anything otherwise, it is your responsibility to understand that better and and uh, and fix it. If if, if something's broken, um, so what's really nice about having the culture established is is that I I'm, I can be hands off. It just the right things happen. If we have uh, we hired a contractor and he uh, says some. Uh, Inappropriate things to a client or to another uh, one, or one of our employees, um, he's gone, and and the manager doesn't have to ask me permission. They just do the right thing. Uh, so, so really having that trust uh, uh, and and trusting in that, uh, you know, that, that that we really do mean it. <laughs> you know, is 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 by um, I think that makes you pretty robust, you know, cause, cause I sure, I certainly can't be everywhere and don't want to be everywhere. Yeah. You, know, you gotta, you gotta sort of set, set the rules.
0: Right. And, you know, and I think that's so important that, you know, obviously the mission, the values and, you know, knowing what you want from your cultures that, that strong base that from which you build. And then the benefits, the programs, all that, those are the tools you use to reinforce those. So what are some of the tools that you use to reinforce your culture that you get the most bang for your buck for, as it were, to achieve what you wanted to do in the business?
2: I try to just say yes. When, when, when a manager asks for something, I tend to just just say yes is my first uh, instant response because they're asking for it because they believe it's appropriate and, and, and they need it. Whatever I actually just said yes to a ping pong table uh you know yes. a few months ago, but that's an example of something where you know I've had other employees uh you know say this that they worked at companies that had the beer taps and the mm-hmm. and the ping pong tables and stuff, <laughs> and it sucked you know it was rosy. there wasn't that underlying culture there right so so it takes a lot more than the the sort of gimmicky things but um it's um it's just important to, 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 to uh, you know, for, for if it's a mistake, just say yes and <laughs> figure it out, because that's how we learn and grow, you know, so. You can always find a closet to put the ping pong yeah. table in if it doesn't <laughs> work out, right? <laughs> so far, so, <laughs> far, so good. Yeah. good. Good, good. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Jeez, um, what I hear right now from you and, and about the company, um, I'm taking a few things away. It's it, honesty, integrity, compassion, and empowerment. Um, and I think that's an awesome recipe for success. Um, and I want to thank you for sharing your story with us. Oh, it's been a real um, pleasure. This is awesome. And, uh, I will be honest. I knew very little of sunrise, um, and in, you know, just learning about you and and the company I'm, um, I was fascinated just to learn what I learned on paper, but to be here and, and, and really hearing you, this is why we're doing this is to really understand that, um, there's humans behind these great ideas
2: and behind great leadership, and, and you're certainly one of those great leaders, and we appreciate your time. Well, so. thank you so much. That That's a huge compliment coming from from you both, and, and such an honor to be honored by the Business New Hampshire magazine. I have enormous respect for, for, for the magazine and, and what it does to, to integrate our, our wonderful, wonderful state. Awesome. <laughs> it's, uh, awesome. This is, uh, New Hampshire is such a, such a great place to do business and, well, and live. Well, yeah,
1: congratulations again.
0: Yes. And thank you. And, and uh, thank you for being a great example of what it means to be an employer of choice in New Hampshire and for sharing uh, your views on that. As you know, we're a huge talent crunch in the state now and everyone's trying to figure out how to be that employer that people want to go to. So thank you for sharing your insights on that.
1: My pleasure. Great. Eric Soderbergh is president and CEO of Sunrise Labs. Thanks again. Take care.
0: And now the buzz with Matt Mowry. Let's talk about what businesses are buzzing about. Well, the worker shortage has put employees in the driver's seat, as many employers know, and you may be getting more of them asking for more money. And uh, an interesting study from business.org recently found that only 21% of Americans have asked for a raise in the last year, and that's costing them. Waiting to ask for a raise can cost workers over $1 million in lifetime pay. Isn't wow. that
1: amazing? That is amazing. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, I remember when I was working for, for companies, it like, would I really go to my boss and be like, I would like a raise today. You know, you better be on your A game, first of all. And also, like, I don't know. I just, I I, I guess I'm not somebody who would, who would ask necessarily in that way.
0: Well, I think a lot of people feel that way. Because I, I think this is it. I mean, because if you ask and they say no, there has to be an action. You either have to accept that they said no and that they don't think you're worth as much at that time or can't pay you as much as you would like at that time. Mm. Or it's time to go find another job. And that's a scary prospect that you have to act act on it. So it's just I think for some of us, it's just easier not to do the ask yeah. and hope that it's gonna come our way.
1: Well, and then what about like on the employer side? That person that just asked for a raise is not getting a raise and the employer may say, well, okay, there goes productivity on that one. Watch him because he'll be out the door in a few days. Um, and like you said, you know, it, there's going to be an action there of some kind. And, and that's, um I don't know. I don't know.
0: But on the other hand, you know, I think more employees are going to start getting emboldened knowing that, you know, employers want to keep them. And and so if things start improving, I think you're going to see more employees asking, because the alternative is they're just going to go find another job where they're naturally going to get more money. Well, it's true.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think you're right. And the other piece being that um, there's, you know, I, I think there should be a conversation around not just I want to raise, but. Are, do we have a living wage? Do Are we competitive? What are our benefits? You know, let's st- have the employees start a larger conversation,
0: not just come piecemeal asking for raises every couple of days. I think proactive, employers that are proactive about it are going to be uh, in a better position in this economy. And, you know, this business.org survey uh, f- or report uh, found that asking for a 5% raise every two years instead of every five years can help you earn up to... Uh, over $1.1 million more over your career. But that most Americans, 73%, are more comfortable asking for 12% increases or below, while 22% report only being willing to ask for 3 to 5%, which only covers cost of living increases. Yeah, so I, really. thought, I thought that was an interesting finding about where people's comfort level is.
1: Yeah. I, again, my comfort level would be just not there for the most part. (laughs) But I'm not everybody.
0: Well, it's something for folks to think about because that's the buzz this week.
1: Welcome to the Cardinal Corner. I'm Nathan Carroll, and let's talk about helping yourself. Not self-help, necessarily, Utilizing business assistance organizations, Matt.
0: We all need help sometimes. Yes, we do. Yeah. So the question is, Someone are that's you... F- more than others. Uh,
1: well, believe me, I know. <laughs> I've seen a few of them. Gosh, I know. Thankfully, none of my clients are in that category. But yeah, we all do. So the question is then, are you focused on your own business's success as much as you're focused on say your clients are selling your product. Are you stuck in the grind of the day-to-day? Can you get out of your own way to make sure that your business is essentially being the best that it can be? Oftentimes not. Quick local a uh, quick story rather. Um, Cardinal's doing some work with a local agency in our region in the northern part of the state focused on engaging small businesses, um, to build a plan around recovery and resilience. I've talked to a number of entrepreneurs about their journey into business ownership, and I am so surprised at how many small business owners go it alone, almost totally alone when it comes to managing or growing their business, right? Right. Being a small business owner is scary and lonely enough. Never mind trying to grow and change on your own. Um, I, I think if that were me and I was trying to do that all alone, I'd go absolutely insane, close my business and go back to selling suits like I did in high school for six months. Right. Um, but I'm not going to do that because I am seeking out assistance from these organizations that um, you know, in our state, they are, are also st- uh, around the country as well. Um, we get so focused, though, on that day to day or helping a client or selling that product that we sort of develop blinders. Right. And we're so focused. And we got to get it done. And then all of a sudden we say, oh, wait a minute. I haven't really planned for the next year or so. So the question is, who can help us? So let's just focus on the state of New Hampshire where we are. The Small Business Administration—it's a federal organization—but they can—they have a lot of partners in the state. The Center for Women in Enterprise is an amazing, amazing uh, organization. Veterans Business Outreach Center, SCORE—the—the—it's uh, um, a retired executive organization where they will actually—they um, have advisors uh, who are retired executives, so they're experienced. Um, my favorite—I'm slightly biased, but Um, because I've done some work with them and I uh, am a client of theirs, is the New Hampshire Small Business Development Center. Um, They, among some of these other organizations, offer no-cost advising to their clients by experienced professionals. These are people you get to talk to that you schedule a meeting with who can give you after you're done with your ranting and raving about being a small business owner can give you the advice that you need. Um, if you're not looking for the advice, but you're looking for some options around financing, talk to a regional economic development corporation. They are usually by region. They're all over the state in your region. Um, there's also the community development finance authority, the business finance authority. Um, but in the, in the sense of financials, it's most important to develop a relationship with a local lender first who can then guide you to these, uh, the Economic Development Corps, for example, or these other organizations. Um, we always need to be focused on ourselves and our businesses, as it were. And there are organizations, amazing organizations out there to help you. That's it for today. Thanks for joining me in the never-lonely, always-up-for-good-advice Cardinal Corner. Find more at our website, cardinalconsultingnh.com, or on social at cardinalconsultingnh.
0: Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard in today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Maury, And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a joint production
1: of Business NH Magazine and Cardinal Consulting. Listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.